Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to deal with the rising cost of inflation to pay off your debt or your mortgage, pretty much anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Well, with Yahoo Finance, you can get access to the news, data, and tools that you need in order to help you reach that financial freedom. And when it comes to your financial future, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, you've invested all that you can. And now you need to take those investments to the next level by using what every financial great uses. Yahoo Finance. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com. The Peter Schiff Show. Well, it is uh, Wednesday, April 1st, April Fool's Day, and all the fools are buying U.S. stocks. You know, GoDaddy, after all these years, finally IPO today. I had a nice uh, first day pop. I have no idea uh, if GoDaddy actually makes any money. Uh, I know they spend a lot of money on Super Bowl ads. Uh, but I want to get everybody up to date on a lot of the economic news that has come out. Uh, since uh, the GDP numbers that came out on Friday. And I haven't actually done an economic podcast since Thursday. So we have a lot of economic news to catch you up on, which means a lot of bad news because almost all of the news that has come out has been bad. And in fact, it's been so bad that this Atlanta Fed GDP now estimate for first quarter GDP has finally moved all the way down to zero, zero. Now that might be, overly optimistic, we may end up with a negative number. But not too long ago, that number was around two and a half percent. And of course, uh, most Wall Street economists were looking at three percent or more. In fact, even given the horrific data that has come out thus far for the first quarter, which came to an end yesterday. So the first quarter is now history. And so we are now in the second quarter. Everybody is convinced that the second quarter is going to be a boom. So even though the first quarter was a bust, right, they're blaming it on the weather, even though, you know, it wasn't wasn't that bad. I mean, we had maybe it was a little bit above normal snow, but nothing, you know, to write home about. It was a little cold, but I mean, nothing like way out of the ordinary. Yet we've been seeing some of the worst economic data, not since last winter when it was even worse, But since the 2008 financial crisis, in fact, arguably, the U.S. economy today is as weak as it's been since uh, those those dark days of the Lehman Brothers crisis of 2008. Yet despite this, everybody still is overly optimistic because they all they think it's going to all come back in the second quarter. Right now, if we actually get zero percent growth in the first quarter, In order for the first half of the year to average 3%, which is what these fools are still uh, looking for, right? we'd have to get 6% in the second quarter. A fat chance of that. Now, there are a lot of people that expect a repeat of 2014 when we did have a big rebound in the second quarter. But I don't think history is going to repeat itself. Because remember, we had some anomalies 
in Q2 of last year. One, we had all the money that people were spending on Obamacare. I mean, that was a huge part of second quarter GDP last year was the Obamacare spending. That was a one-time deal, at least you know, for you know for last year. It's not going to be repeated this year. And the other thing was the inventory build, which became even more important in Q3. But we're not going to get that again because inventory is already bloated because companies can't sell the inventory they have. The last thing they're going to do is stockpile more. So I don't see where the consumer is going to come powering to the rescue uh, when he's got a low-paying job, an escalating cost of living. He's trying desperately to rebuild his savings because his balance sheet is uh, in tatters. How is the consumer going to come out? I mean, they're not even spending the money they saved on gas prices. And by the way, now, you know, gas prices are probably heading back up. I mean, they're not going to skyrocket quickly to where they were six months ago, but probably over the next few months, gas prices at the pump are going to be trending higher. So whatever consumers were saving on cheap gas in Q1, they're not going to save as much in Q2. So, you know, how are they going to be in better position? I don't know. I mean, let's just call it wishful thinking. Uh, But, you know, hope is not the strategy that is going to pan out, right? Because we have real facts showing us how lousy Q1 is. And we got nothing but pie-in-the-sky fantasy about the big comeback that's coming in Q2. Meanwhile, we're now finding, you know, that uh, U.S. corporate profits, uh, you know, last actually fell, you know, you know, despite the fact that the the stock market has been rising, uh, corporate profits have not been. But let me start and turn the clock back to Friday. And we're going to go over uh, some of the economic data that came out. First, we did get fourth quarter corporate profits for the fourth quarter uh, of last year, and they dropped by 3%. Right? It was the largest quarterly decline since the first quarter of 2011. And I think the first quarter of 2015, which we just you know closed the books on, when we get those numbers, you know, it could be even uglier than the fourth quarter of last year. We did get the revisions, the final revisions for fourth quarter U.S. GDP. The initial or the, the second revision, was 2.2%. And Wall Street was looking for a slightly upwardly revised 2.4%. Well, they were wrong. We didn't get any upward revision. It stayed at 2.2%. Now, personally, I thought they would have shaved a little off. I thought they might have gone down to 2 even, or maybe even one nine. But instead, we held steady at, at, at 2%. But still, it is weaker. It was still weaker than what they were looking for. Uh, you know, because they, they thought that we would get some kind of a bounce and we didn't get it. Also, on Friday, we got March uh, University of Michigan consumer sentiment, uh, which ended up being they revised it. So it wasn't quite as bad as they originally estimated, but it was the first back to back decline in that index since October of 2013, not 2014, 2013. Then um, we got personal income and spending. This is on, on Monday of this week, right? And spending rose just 0.1% in February. Uh, that was the fourth consecutive month where consumers spent less than had been estimated. The savings rate did increase to 5.8%. As pitiful as that number is, that's a two-year high. And, of course, 
saving more money is good. We need more savings desperately, and we need consumers to save a lot more than 5.8. The problem for the Fed, when you're trying to uh, continue to inflate a consumer spending bubble, the last thing you want is consumers to save, because if they're saving, they can't spend. And the government, the Federal Reserve, wants everybody spending because they want to keep the bubble from bursting. Of course, the best thing long-term for the economy is that consumers stop spending, but then that helps prick the bubble in the short run. And all these clowns are concerned about is postponing the day of reckoning, even though by postponing it, they make it worse because we have a lot bigger problems that need to be reckoned with. Uh, But this is a problem for the Fed. The fact that consumer is beginning to save more is problematic. And why are they wanting to why are they behaving more responsibly? Because they're in trouble. They realize they've borrowed too much money. Uh, They have nothing saved for retirement. They can barely make ends meet. They have nothing in their rainy day fund. Uh, I guess that's okay if you're living out in California and it's a drought and you're not worried about the rain. In fact, by the way, now they're rationing water out there, which is probably going to add more problems to the economy uh, uh, this year with the the, the troubles out there. But consumers are finding out they're in a lot of trouble. The last thing they're going to do in the second quarter is rush out to the malls and shop. You know, I think this trend to higher savings is going to continue until the Federal Reserve uh, shifts it by launching QE4 and, you know, and, and getting people encouraging more spending and, and ratcheting up the inflation rate to punish the savers. You know, the people are saving a little bit more money and the Federal Reserve needs to inflict some pain to make sure that nobody acts responsibly. They want everybody acting recklessly. Also, Monday, we got the March Dallas Fed Manufacturing Index. It plunged by 17.4%, 17.4%. That is the sharpest one-month decline since 2008, right, during the time of the financial crisis. The biggest drop since then. I mean, nothing like it even last winter, 17.4%, and we're now at the lowest level since June of 2011. See, the air is coming out of this bubble so rapidly, and we still have 0% interest rates. The Fed hasn't raised them at all. And it's deflating this quickly, right? Um, Now, what else do we get? We got Chicago PMI Tuesday, right? Below 50 in March. This is the second consecutive month that the index was below 50. In fact, it was at 46.3. That was well below estimates. They were looking for it to to increase uh, above 50. Instead, it's almost as bad as, uh, as the prior month. And we're right near six-year lows. Six-year lows. What was happening six years ago? The financial crisis, the Great Recession. Well, the Chicago PMI is right back at the same levels that we referred to as, you know, the Great Recession. Before QE1, 2, and 3 were even launched, right? We're right back there. We're right back where we started from. In fact, we're not where we started from. We're in worse shape. We are in a much bigger hole, thanks to all the extra digging uh, that, that we've been doing for ourselves. Now we got scrolling through these uh, through these uh, economic numbers here uh, today. Today we got some you know some bad ones. We got the March ADP numbers, which is the you know the precursor to the big number we're going to get on Friday, which will be interesting because we get the non-farm payrolls on Friday. The markets are closed for Good Friday, uh, but the numbers are going to get out, so uh, we're not going to have the, the reaction in the U.S. market anyway until Monday. So that'll be interesting to see how the market trades. But the ADP is a, is a survey of private payrolls. And that came out today. 
And they were looking for like 230,000, I think, something like that. We got 189,000 in March. That's the lowest ADP number in 14 months. And it's the biggest miss based on what they expected in four years. Now, remember, Janet Yellen just said, we are not going to raise rates at the Fed until the employment situation improves. Well, if we've got a 14-month low in the ADP number, does that sound like it's improving? No, it sounds like it's getting worse. So how is the Fed supposed to raise rates when the employment picture is darkening and they said it needs to brighten? And if it doesn't brighten, we're not going to raise rates. And of course, you know, manufacturing, we lost jobs. We lost a thousand jobs. I mean, all these jobs are service sector jobs. The good producing jobs were tiny. And a lot of these service sector jobs, we know they're part time. They're low paying. That's part of the problem. These jobs aren't part of the solution. They're the problem that needs to be solved. But it's not going to be solved as long as the Fed is uh, pursuing the policy it is. Now, we got March ISM manufacturing index dropped again to 51.5. This is the lowest level for March ISM in 22 months. 22 months. And it's the first time that we've had a five-month decline, right? So this number has declined for five consecutive months. Can you guess the last time that happened? 2008, during the financial crisis. Yet again, here's another economic data point that hasn't been this bad since the depths of the Great Recession, yet this is liftoff. We finally have the recovery, and we're right back where we started from, you know, uh, before the recovery started. We also got construction spending unexpectedly fell in February. Oh, you know, there's that unexpected. I mean, why didn't they think it was going to fall, right? But it fell. It was only 1.1%, but they were expecting an increase. But worse yet, they revised the January drop much, much lower. It was originally, I think, 1.1. Now they said it dropped 1.7. So we dropped even more in January, and then we dropped again in in February, right? And again, all of this bad economic news that's been coming out is, you know, what prompted the Atlanta Fed, right, to, you know, as I said earlier, to notch down their GDP now estimate to zero. And again, you know, We've got a lot of bad news. Now, we're still going to get the, you know, some more economic data that's going to come out this week. And if that data continues to come out bad, right, we're going to get the trade deficit. It's going to come out tomorrow. Challenger jobs cuts, uh, the weekly payrolls numbers, factory orders, uh, those numbers are going to come out. And then we're going to get uh, the, the employment number. And, you know, th- this is going to be uh, the March. And so, you know, which you get, the you know, the first Friday of uh, the month following. And, that, that, you know, that'll be kind of most of the data. There might be still there's still going to be some data that's going to bear on fourth quarter GDP that's going to come out in in April. But I mean, this trade deficit, too, that we're going to get. This is still only the February trade deficit. So, you know, we still it's going to be a while before we get March. But based on some of these numbers, I mean, who knows? Zero might not be the floor, right? Who knows where first quarter GDP is going to finally end up? I mean, remember last year uh, we were at minus two. You know, so can we get to be that bad again this year? Again, you know, there were some weather related problems uh, in the first quarter of 2014. To me, it hasn't been nearly as bad this year. I mean, certainly living in New England, I know parts of Boston had a lot of snow, but here in Connecticut, New York, it wasn't anywhere near as bad as it was in in 2014. 
but you know, people were conditioned from last year. Hey, don't worry about the first quarter, right? We can we can throw it out. Well, the fourth quarter wasn't that great either. The whole year, the whole year was only two point four or so. It was you know, it wasn't a great year, and that's assuming that you believe there's no inflation, which I don't believe. Uh, so. You know, people are somehow deluding themselves into thinking this economy is strong. Meanwhile, the stock market is weakening again. You know, the last several days we had a 200 point drop in the Dow yesterday on uh, on Tuesday. We were down almost 200 points at one point today, uh, but we only closed down about 77. Nasdaq down about 20. We're back now below 4,900, 4,880 on the Nasdaq. Well below. We were, you know, above. We were at. 5,020 or 5,030. Oil really, you know, struggling to put in the bottom. We were up about $2 a barrel today. We're back down below 50, though. We're giving up some of those gains, 49.5, but we've been above 50. To me, oil really looks like it's searching for a bottom, just like uh, gold searching for a bottom. We had a very, very strong day in gold, up about $20 a, an ounce. The price of gold now recovering. Back above, you know, that psychologically important 1200 level, you know, we're now at um, 12.03. And so we're about 50 bucks off the lows or so that we were at not too long ago, you know, just like around before Janet Yellen had her had her conference. And the U.S. dollar is still on the defensive. I mean, it hasn't imploded yet, um, but it's not making new highs anymore. And I think that the speculators that have been buying up the dollars, and again, this is the most crowded trade, long the dollar and short just about every other currency, uh, the speculators who are in on this trade are, you know, are having a hard time you know, getting out of it or having a hard time acknowledging that it's not working out. So it's, it's very tough to break this trend. I mean, you get all this news that keeps coming out that should be you know, sending, you know, uh, you know, getting a, a light bulb should be going off in some people's head that, hey, maybe things aren't what we think, because the whole rationale for the strong dollar, it's all based on a strong U.S. economy and the Fed raising rates. Well, if the U.S. economy isn't strong, if we're slipping back into recession, if the Fed is going to be doing QE4, then the dollar's rally was all false. And the problem is, since so many people are in denial and making up excuses and looking to rationalize all the bad data. Hey, everything's going to get better. It's it is this market is setting itself up for a crash because all of a sudden everybody is going to figure out that they were wrong at the same time. It's not like going to be people have been gradually discovering this. It's all of a sudden everybody comes to the same conclusion and they all rush to get out the same door. Well, it's a tiny door. and There's a lot of people that are trying to get out. And, you know, these markets, we've already seen how violently these foreign exchange markets can move uh, when the speculators are, are trying to get in or out. But, you know, the fundamentals have never supported this dollar rally. In fact, all of the major dollar rallies we've had over the last, you know, 20, 30 years or 40 years, whatever, the dollar has been declining steadily since uh, 1971. And every time it rallies, it sells off and makes a new low. But all of the rallies are speculative driven. They have to do with some kind of bubble, some kind of false scenario, false hope, 
undue optimism. And when reality rears its head, the dollar ultimately caves in because the trade deficits keep getting bigger. The current account deficits are bigger. The the underlying structure of the U.S. economy continues to erode. We continue to borrow to consume and we continue to undermine the real value of our currency. Meanwhile, the Federal Reserve keeps printing money, expanding its balance sheet. Of course, we've taken that to a new art form. Uh, you know, recently with our quantitative easings one, two, and three, and soon to be four, right? So the fundamentals have been very, very bad for the dollar all along, yet you do have these periodic increases. But right now, I probably think we have more leveraged speculators, you know, loaded up on their long dollar, short euro, short yen, short Aussie, you know, whatever it is, they're short against the dollar. They're all in these trades and they're all wrong. They're all expecting something to happen that's not going to happen. And when they have to reverse, you know, remember how quickly the subprime mortgage market imploded, right? You went from a situation where securities were well bid above par and everybody was delusional and everybody just believed that these, you know, triple A, triple B, rather minus rated securities were good, that they were money good and that, you know, the bonds would be repaid and people were paying premiums above par to buy these bonds. And in a matter of days or weeks, uh, there were no bids. You couldn't give them away. They were worthless because all of a sudden people woke up to reality. And when when they all woke up, you know, there's there's no bids. There's nobody who's still oblivious. There's no there's no fool to sell to. And, you know, right now, you know, you've got people willing to buy the dollar because they don't know what's going to happen. They're wrong. They're foolish. But when people wake up. Who's going to want to take the other side of these trades? Nobody. Everybody's going to be trying to get rid of dollars. No one's going to be trying to accumulate them because anybody who wanted to buy dollars already owned them. And now it's just left for them to to get out. And again, as I said, when the dollar does plunge and we get a a big rise in commodity prices and all of a sudden, you know, all these uh, countries around the world that were supposedly worried about deflation because of the big drop in commodity prices, they're not going to be worried about it anymore. And now they're not going to be cutting rates. They'll be raising rates. So the whole dynamic, the whole trade is going to reverse. And so it's going to be in a very, very spectacular way. But we got to keep our eye on the jobs number because that is probably the most vulnerable area because that is the gauntlet that the Fed has thrown down, right? That's what they are pinning everything on. I mean, one is inflation, right? We have an inflation target of 2%. Forget that. I don't care how high inflation gets. They ain't, rate, they ain't moving rates up on inflation, not until it's spiraling out of control and they don't have any chance. But what they really are looking at is the jobs market. And we know the jobs market, you know, beneath the surface has been weak the whole time. But superficially, you know, people have been able to make a case that it's strong because the unemployment rate has been coming down and we have been creating more jobs. But that's going to change. Given how awful all the economic data has been, and it's not because of the weather, it's obvious that the employment data is going to follow the rest of the data south. And maybe the lousy number that we got today on ADP private payrolls, the biggest miss in four years, could be a precursor of more misses to come. And as the economy continues to weaken, I do expect uh, even the supply of lousy, low-paying jobs to be diminished and Instead of hiring some of these part-time workers, companies are going to find that they have more part-time workers than they need. The layoffs are going to begin, and the unemployment numbers are going to start to uh, turn down. And if the Fed has said that, well, we can't raise rates until the employment picture improves, and if it actually goes the other way, then rate hikes 
are that much further into the future. In fact, they're so far into the future that they're beyond QE4. Because as the labor markets start to slip with the rest of the economy, confirming that the economy is weakening, not strengthening, the Fed is going to be under intense pressure to do something about it. And since it is a conclusion among all these so-called experts that QE worked, obviously they're going to do it again. And, you know, Paul Krugman is going to say the only thing is we just didn't do it big enough. We should have been bigger and bolder with our QE and we would have achieved liftoff because we were too timid. We just didn't print enough money. We were too worried about inflation and not enough about growth that we listened to the Republicans who were worried about deficits, and we quite didn't make it out of escape velocity. So what we have to do with QE4 is we got to really, you know, put the pedal to the metal here. We got to go all in on QE. Deficits be damned. Inflation be damned. We just need one super booster, rocket-fueled, you know, escape velocity, mother of all QE. And that's what's coming. And that is what nobody is expecting, except maybe the listeners to uh, the Peter Schiff podcast. Hi, this is Peter Schiff. And long before foreign governments and hedge funds were buying gold by the ton, I urged my clients to put 5 to 10% of their portfolios into physical precious metals. Despite gold's massive rise over the last decade, I still think that a 5 to 10% allocation to gold and silver is a smart investment decision. But buyers have to beware. Big TV gold dealers push all sorts of coins that are poor investments. Bait-and-switch deals, price protection guarantees, leveraged gold accounts. These are just a few of the sleazy tactics used to swindle inexperienced gold buyers. My gold company is different. We never offer a coin or bar unless I consider it to be a good investment. I want my customers to be educated. That's why I'm offering you a free research report exposing the biggest scams and ripoffs in the industry. Download my report, Classic Gold Scams, and how to avoid getting ripped off for free at goldscams.com. This report tells you everything you need to know about how to avoid losing thousands of dollars with scam gold dealers. It even tells you how to tell if a salesman is lying to you on the phone. This is a must-read for anyone considering a gold or silver investment. Download this free report today at goldscams.com. That's goldscams.com.